I truly believe that in the 21st century, when we're looking at building new innovative products, you want to strive to get the best possible talents to be working on your company. This is Mate Fatachnik, CEO of Vacuum Labs, who provide digital design and engineering support, particularly to companies in the fintech and blockchain industries. Surprisingly, you do not always find the right talent or the talent at the right price in your particular country. So, you know, since we are part of the European Union and, and we're in a global market, it's fairly easy to actually do international cross-border relations with other organizations. While expanding to other countries is synonymous with startup growth, you may find yourself in a position where working with businesses outside your home country is more attractive. The only thing you need to really look at is trust and to find ways how to identify the right partner for you to, to, to work with. Today, Mate and I will set out to prove to you that both contracts and trust are crucial in a long-term cross-border business relationship and the red flags to watch out for along the way. This is Savvy with Sparring, where we talk to founders, investors, and people in the startup ecosystem about entrepreneurship and getting a business off the ground. I'm Annabelle Pemberton, Legal Mind at Sparring, and I'll be guiding you through how business and law mesh together. We are a, now it's a decades old company that we started as three, three founders from Slovakia in essentially a dorm room. And it grew into a company where right now we're over 300 people uh, all across the world. And what we do, we help banks, fintechs, and innovative organizations to actually build the next generation of financial uh, services and financial products. We're currently looking at three strategic verticals for us to, to expand in. The first one is fintech, the one where we're right now most at home with building new virtual banks or, or niche banking propositions. The second one is crypto. It is uh, the hype of the day, and we've been actually in the space for the past several years. And we've built a number of products there. And the last one is legal tech, where we work closely with you guys, actually, on, on, on building new and interesting tech propositions that are under intersection of technology and legal. We are primarily focused on the global market, whatever that means. But if we, if we zoom in a little bit more, we have traditionally had a, a strong footprint in the UK, in Germany, in Southeast Asia, and also in Hong Kong, and, and also in the United States. So you would say the, the better developed markets and, and financial services. This brings us nicely into today's topic, establishing cross-border contracts and business relationships. So why would you choose to work with service providers outside of your own country in the first place? I truly believe that in the 21st century, when we're looking at building new innovative products, you want to strive to get the best possible talents to be working on your company. Surprisingly, you do not always find the right talent or the talent at the right price in your particular country. So, you know, since we are part of the European Union and, and we're in a global market, it's fairly easy to actually do international cross-border relations with other organizations. The only thing you need to really look at is trust and to find ways how to identify the right partner for you to, to, to work with. 
So what are the foundations of trust? And what are some indicators of a good partner? The, the thing here is, is understanding that trust, you know, trust is combined of several things. Some are bigger, some are smaller. Trust is um, one of the, the, the more, the less objective ones are how fast does the, the partner uh, respond to your emails or, or are they available 24-7 to answer your questions? Do they speak the same language on a, on a high level? Do they actually have references from clients in a similar space? Can you call those clients to actually see if they've been happy and satisfied with the service provider or not? Do they, you know, are they out in media and reputable places? Have they won some awards from EY, from anywhere else? Have they been in, in Forbes mentioned a couple of times? These kind of small things that any single one of them is not enough to actually give you a, a data point whether or not they're the right partner, but a combination of them can provide you with a good idea if it's a reputable partner to work with or not. All businesses are different and startups take their own unique approach. But surely each startup that is looking to scale should utilize global talent? Not quite. Turn it around a little bit and, and, mm-hmm. and focus more, less on the verticals where the, the businesses are focused on, rather look at the types of services that a client needs or the, that you as a company need when you're, when you're growing, right? The you need to be more protective. You need to be more diligent about um, the types of services that actually influence your core proposition. So if you're looking at engineers, if you're looking at service designers, if you're looking for, for product people, these are absolutely crucial for you to be successful and for you to actually build something that has legs, that is solid, that doesn't have any tech debt or anything like that, that going forward would, would have bad ramifications if you if you chose a bad vendor however on the other side you have digital marketing uh, people or you have the copywriters the ceo people all these that have you know can can really successfully be digital nomads living in thailand and, and doing stuff around the world um you have less of a, we would say, a vendor lock-in with them. Jozef Maruschak mentioned a similar thing in our episode. The bottom line, consider wisely what you do designate to a service provider. And also you have less of a stress that if they don't do their job that well, well, your your ads won't convert or the text on, on some blogs are not gonna, is not going to be that stellar. But other than that, you're, you're, you're kind of safe. So I would say it's a, it's a continuum from... How close does the vendor need to touch your core proposition to the other side where it's more about marketing or more about the the additional services around that? While our playbook relates to Slovak and Czech law, I'll be providing you with some general principles to keep in mind when agreeing to terms in cross-border agreements. A couple of the hurdles that I know that are out there, but I've been lucky to avoid the majority of them is... uh, Actually, the definition of defining the the rule of law, like where, where what kind of ro- what kind of law do you want to govern your your agreement under? Is it the Slovak jurisdiction? Is it the the the, the British or the American or or what is it? And this for a small starting company out of Central Europe can seem like a small thing, and you don't really care because you need the cash. But at the end of the day, 
you can it can have big ramifications and big issues if if you don't choose wisely and don't don't, don't carefully understand what you, what you're doing there. So what Mate is referring to here are clauses that you would typically conclude with a service provider when you are agreeing master service agreements or MSAs, service level agreements or SLAs, or other contracts concerning your relationship. That's the that's that's number one. The other one is if there's an issue, what courts would you want to have your your legal proceedings in? And so I know that many 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 years ago, it's been a, a practice that even Slovak companies, when they were contracting between the two of them, they went to Vienna for the court of law to actually put it there because it has been way faster and actually more transparent and less less prone to issues with 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 the law in, in Vienna rather than Slovakia. And these things um, do happen and you need to be you need to be diligent about that, right? If you're for example contracting with uh, a Middle Eastern com- company in Dubai, you probably want to define a neutral law where you're going to govern the, the agreement under, maybe Britain, maybe something that you're accustomed to, where you have some other clients with, right? Um, those kind of things you should uh, keep in mind that organizations of a certain size will not really want to do it under Slovak law or Czech law or any other small regional law. They want to either stick to uh, bigger, bigger trusted, you know, countries that they 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 do understand or they want to t- take it to their home country which sometimes could be complicated for you when you have zero knowledge of that or they're governed under very different laws than than that know what you have at home choice of law and court are typically hidden in the miscellaneous sections however they can be expensive mistakes if you do have a dispute with your service provider later down the road In addition to these areas, there may be different expectations to what should be included in an MSA depending on the market standard of the location. For example, non-compete terms can vary depending on the trust between parties and the countries the contract is between. Something as small as a linguistic change can also have a large impact on the parties, such as how long the terms of the contract are going to survive for after the termination of the agreement. For example, that you have to respect confidentiality clauses for two years after the termination of the cooperation. We have mentioned this before in Savvy, but while paper contracts provide the rules of how you do business and can be relied upon in tough times, disputes are more likely to occur if you don't cater for good interpersonal relationships. The way how Americans conduct business and how they negotiate is completely different to the way the, the Brits do that, which is completely different to the way Central Europeans do that. And, and it's only just getting you a deal. But then when you're working with a partner, you know, a Central European, when he, when when they say it's okay, you mean it's the best thing after slight spreads. But for American, what if you say, oh, it's okay, is, you know, oh, this is really, really bad. As someone who is British, I can definitely vouch for that. And just, you know, normalizing those words and sentences and working cross-border in different time zones through Slack or Zoom and to actually understand each other, even though we both speak English, is a big thing, right? So so coming into this with a little bit of, of a mindset that, you know what, I'm trying to do my best. This is who I am. This is how we typically work. Tell me how you operate and let's find a way how we can you know work together is really important. Most of the partners, most of the clients I've seen around the world You've been extremely happy to actually educate me about the the customs and the ways that they in their country conduct business. And and it's been a great icebreaker and a way for them to 
to give me something, a little bit of a, of a leg up there to, 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 to get started. So in the end of the day, we're, we're human. We want to help each other. We want to do good for each other. And, and if you bring an open mind and, and a curiosity to learn about new cultures and, and, and new ways of business, the partners will you know, treat you well and, and help you to succeed. Business is built on, on people, and uh, the people need to understand how to do cross-border relations and how to respect the, the, the cultures and the customs of, of the others. This isn't all talk. Vacuum Labs were able to establish business out of Europe in Hong Kong through incrementally learning the business environment and partnering with locals. So getting into Hong Kong as a as a vendor that typically worked with European and, and American clients, we've been lucky enough to actually be recommended from a very trusted source to the particular bank we started working with in, in Hong Kong. And when I flew there, and it's important to actually have a physical relationship at the beginning. You know, I was negotiating with a British national, an Australian, and, and, and a Turk, right? So, so it was more of the, the expats doing business in Hong Kong, where we found the common, common language very, very easily. And then when we started a relationship uh, and started the work together, the Hong Kong nationals came in and we, we learned how to, how to work. And, and it's been, you know, that project itself has been a very big melting pot of different nationalities, different cultures, as like Hong Kong is itself. So it's been, it's been quite, quite gentle for us to actually learn how to work in that, that region. And now when we're working with, with others more traditional for Asia, we are more accustomed to that. And yes, you did hear Mate say they were physically present in the country when this occurred. I know Corona has taught us that we can also do business without that, but I'm still... Maybe I'm getting old, but I'm still a big fan of doing, doing things physical. For many startups who have reached scale-up phase, going global is a dream. So how can it become a reality? One advice I would give for, for entrepreneurs that are starting out in this region to actually want to do global business is not to be afraid. It's not rocket science, but be ready to fail a couple of times, which is completely fine. Be ready to leave our Central European mentality at home and to bring an open mind to the foreign market and to actually listen, to learn, to understand the way how they do business, how they conduct uh, negotiations and how they treat partners and vendors. And to understand that what works at home will not probably work for in a foreign country and, and that you need to be humble to to, to, to learn a lot and to, to, to understand how to conduct business in a foreign country. And also just to ask for help and ask for, for support. Yeah. We've already hinted at this, but Mate also suggests to partner with those who understand your business. She's a good legal partner for you to, to, to work with. That's, I think that's number one. You know, I've always had a legal counsel and legal advice when, when doing business, especially when you're doing cross-border business. It is extremely important to have somebody that understands the law where you're trying to sign the agreement in. Remember, this can also extend to other services, such as accountants for taxes and other admin. Right. And honestly, in Central Europe, you don't do not have a lot of organizations that both are affordable and startup friendly. So they don't have the legal nonsense, yappy, yappy, yappy. And they they 
they they seem to actually want to help the startups or the businesses to succeed, plus have an understanding of U.S., Britain, and, and many other jurisdictions out there. So for me, that is a, a key key element for success is actually finding that that partner. But we understand sometimes legal is just not your priority. However, if you're in a situation where you do not have a partner like that. Try to always be more conservative. Try to always sign things that you're more comfortable with rather than less comfortable with. Even if it means you, it costs you a bit of money, or it costs you uh, part of, of, of the, the total remuneration or whatever it is, be more conservative in that. And just really good legal advice for this. And even if it's just for the first time, you, you, you know, when you're starting to work, let's say with Austria, cross-border, have somebody check that agreement. And, and then if it's the same template, you can just continue using that. But you don't want to start this with, with, with the wrong type of agreement. If you're just starting out and you don't want to buy services, but you want to sell services, um, you know, do it as simple as possible. Try to use a payment gate. Try to use something that's, that's verified or, or just stick to a country where you're comfortable with. Try to stick with the EU or, or with something that, that you know a little bit about. Or additionally, there's a bunch of accelerators, startup incubators in Czech Republic or Slovakia. You know, reach out to them and they typically have agreements with law firms that they partner with and they can give you an hour, two or three of, of free time to, to to discuss and to talk to or preferential rates. So so that's an other that's the other option. Do a good, honest job, ask you know for a fair fair money for 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 good work and do this enough times and, and you're gonna you're gonna see the uh, the fruits of your labor estates overall when optimizing your business you are likely to work with businesses outside of your home country while this can be beneficial for your growth and success it is important to keep in mind the admin costs with establishing business with that country have you chosen a choice of law that will benefit you both is the cost of a lawyer who can practice that law more expensive than your normal legal support are there any small terms that could trip you up in your business relationship for other areas to watch out for you can look at our article on software agreements in our playbook at sparring.playbook.io but remember, communication and legal contracts need to work in parallel. Make sure that you have taken steps to ensure there is trust between you and the party by engaging locals and building a meaningful business relationship. This podcast is created by Sparring, the legal and strategic service for tech visionaries. 